understanding biblical justice in such a time as this with pastors Rob Fuquay and Nicole Caldwell-Gross from St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis with Bishop Julius Trimble, Indiana Area Bishop on the United Methodist People Podcast, episode number 39 with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People Podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where it is our mission and it is our joy and purpose to provide a forum for conversation and commentary to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church in order for us to fulfill our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You can catch back episodes of the podcast at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast with lots of helpful resources there. Today we tackle the matter of justice, particularly justice from a biblical perspective. Very much needed in such a time as this, when justice is approached oftentimes from political basis or from societal basis, but certainly has been triggered by issues such as racism in our in our world. After the killing of George Floyd, the St. Luke United Methodist Church in Indianapolis had many people respond and said, let's do something about this. How do we respond to this? And senior pastor Rob Fuquay and pastor of mobilization and outreach, Reverend Nicole Caldwell-Gross, put together a message series to speak to understanding biblical justice as a starting point and also created other resources, including a new website, antiracistindy.com, to respond to the matter. Our conversation today is with Pastor Rob Fuquay and Pastor Nicole Caldwell-Gross from St. Luke's Church in Indianapolis, and with Bishop Julius Tremble from the Indiana area of the United Methodist Church. A fascinating conversation where we get into what one church did to respond to the matters of biblical justice, responding to racism in our world, in our, in our society. And there are ap- applicable principles and practical things you can do to expand your impact, your vision, your uh, response to justice in your local church. You're going to love this issue, this episode of the United Methodist Podcast. So let's get into our conversation on understanding biblical justice in such a time as this right now. Reverend Dr. Brad Miller here on the United Methodist People Podcast, where it is our opportunity, it is our mission, and it is our pleasure to share conversation and commentary that is designed to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church as we are looking to make an impact and fulfill our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And today we're pleased to be talking about 
it's one of the transformative things that is happening in the world. We'll be talking about biblical justice, understanding biblical justice, particularly in light of the circumstances we find ourselves in in our world regarding politics and social upheaval and racial tensions and all kinds of things happening in the world. And we're pleased to have with us our guest today, as often has been with us, as we have encouraging words from Bishop Julius Trimble, the Bishop of the Indiana area, who will be bringing us some encouraging words today. And we also have two pastors on the staff of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Reverend Rob Fuquay, the senior pastor, and Reverend Nicole Caldwell-Gross, who is the pastor of mobilization and outreach. So we'll be talking about this area in the life of the church today. Uh, I welcome all of you to uh, do the United Methodist People podcast today. Thank you, Brad. Good to be with you, Brad. Awesome. We are so glad you're here with us. And we are talking about this issue of justice. And we're going to talk it and kind of compare and contrast a little bit to social issues or a social approach and political approach and things like that. But we are the church. We're the United Methodist Church, and we have our own sensibility, our own situations that we are dealing with. And uh, Bishop, I know that you are intimately, intricately involved with this area of of, uh, of justice issues, of biblical issues, and you're involved with other bishops in the church. And I just know that you have something you wanted to, to share with uh, the, the, the listeners of the United Methodist People podcast. Thank, thank you, Brad, and uh, thanks to Pastor Rob and Pastor Nicole for for joining us on the podcast. Right up front in the Constitution of the United Methodist Church, Article 5, uh, under racial justice are these words in our discipline. The United Methodist Church proclaims the value of each person as a unique child of God and commits itself to the healing and wholeness of all persons. The church recognizes that the sin of racism has been destructive to its unity throughout its history. Racism continues to cause painful division and marginalization. The United Methodist Church shall confront and seek to eliminate racism, whether in organizations or individuals, in every facet of its life and the society at large. United Methodist Church shall work collaboratively with others to address concerns that threaten the cause of racial justice at all times and in all places. So I don't think an argument really needs to be made for why the church, the Christian church, should be involved with racial justice. Uh, and I was very moved and impressed uh, several weeks ago when I heard the um, preaching, one of the sermons from the preaching series that St. Luke's United Methodist Church has been doing around biblical justice. In June of this year, uh, Brad, the Council of Bishops, along with uh, all of the general agencies of the United Methodist Church, made a commitment to embark I would say, again, or continuing uh, in a more sustained effort to work towards dismantling racism under the theme, Dismantling Racism, Pressing On to Freedom. And under that theme, all of the agencies, every, every bishop and each of the annual conference bishops has made a commitment to engage and encourage us to pray, to connect, to show up, and to act in specific ways in which we might participate in dismantling racism, doing, in other words, doing our part as the body of Christ in this particular section. 
So I'm, I'm more than uh, not just impressed, I've been moved, and I certainly want to come alongside and support and encourage St. Luke's and other congregations that are moving in the direction of becoming anti-racist or really just picking up the mantle of what does it mean for us to live out biblical justice. So I've been looking forward to this conversation and hearing from these two pastors who are working with the, um, one of our leading congregations in the jurisdiction around biblical justice. Absolutely. Thank you, Bishop, for, uh, for sharing that. And certainly our conversation here today is because you were impacted by a, a message series and some other things that St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis are doing regarding uh, racial uh, factors, uh, racism. They're speaking out against that in some very organized and some passionate ways. And I know that part of the focus of that has been the work of Reverend Nicole Caldwell-Gross, who has been very instrumental in that. And, um, you know, in the past, I've had the opportunity to hear a little bit of the faith story of you, Bishop, and of you, Rob. And Nicole, if you don't mind, before we kind of de- de- dive deep into the topic today, I'd just like to learn a little bit more about you uh, but but about your faith journey, how you came to Christ, and how you ended up called into ministry, particularly at St. Luke's. You share with us a little bit. Sure. Well, as I was listening to Bishop, um, you know, read from Article 5, I wonder if uh, my grandfather, who was a lay leader at the United Methodist Church, Henderson Memorial, where I grew up, um, read some of that, because so much of how I was formed in faith is connected to two things, my identity as a child of God and my identity as a black woman. And so my grandfather um, was one of the navigators that pointed me towards faith. And throughout my life, God has blessed me with people that I, I didn't come to faith on my own. I came to faith with people constantly pushing me towards it and calling out gifts for ministry that I didn't think I had or applied. And so <laughs> I think typical of this, my grandfather, who I grew up two miles away from him. So this is, I would see him every week, would ask me, who are you? Didn't suffer from memory loss, would ask me this every single time mm, I saw him. Okay. And it was this, I hated it. I had to give all of my genealogical history. And then he would say, okay, now granddaughter, let me take that away. Who are you? And I would have to give this perfunctory Sunday school response. I'm a child of God. Can I come inside now? Can I have a snack? Is grandma here? (laughs) And I remember when I went to college, he wrote me this letter explaining why he always asked me that. And he said it was because when I would go out into the world, there would be people who would deny who I was, both as a black woman and as a child of God. And he wanted me to never forget that. And so with that seed planted um, through college, I had professors who would say, a professor who said, you should apply to Princeton Seminary. I I think that you should think about ministry. That was never on my mind. I never saw a woman preacher until I was in college. So I thought ministry was something you did, um, you know, in addition to a a real job. Um, But I've just been blessed with people who constantly pushed me towards ministry. And one of those navigators is also Pastor Rob, I was working as the director of mission for the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. I was sitting in an extended cabinet meeting and our bishop was talking about restructuring and working out of the office. I lived 80 miles from the office. I had three young children and was texting my husband saying, 
I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do a three hour commute. I may have to think about something else. And he was texting me back and saying, someone from Indianapolis just called me about us working there. And I thought, I know you want to be comforting, but like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm trying to explain to you why this is not going to work out. And by the time I got home, God had opened a door, navigated to a different place that I didn't see coming, that I couldn't have predicted. And so um, my faith journey has been full of those navigators pushing me towards where God wants me to be. And St. Luke's has been a part of that journey. But it started with the original navigator, who is my grandfather. And I now ask my children all the time, who are you? And they're just as annoyed. So you have the affirmation from your heritage (laughs) and you're passing it on in your legacy and you're living it out in your mission and ministry at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, where you've been a part of this process of searching Mm -hmm. through and navigating in your own way, the areas of of racial justice. And of course, we had just a real seminal moment in our American history back in May when, when, uh, when uh, George Floyd was killed and that sent a shockwave through uh, everybody basically mm-hmm. and I'm interested to hear either from you Nicole or perhaps from Rob how that event impacted your church and led to the process here of you why we're here today to talk about the sermon series and some of the resources that you're providing. Rob maybe you could speak to that for a I second. Don't, I don't mind starting it because uh it, it really, uh, the reaction of the church probably predates the event itself. So we've had a racial justice inclusiveness team in St. Luke's before I got here. And uh, while their work was significant and making strides, I don't know that it was as, as in the forefront of what we were doing as a congregation. So one of the things that Nicole has done since coming is certainly to bring that more to the to the forefront and to uh, develop that team and thinking about what does it mean for us as a church to um, really advance the cause of racial justice. So right before COVID hit, they were taking our uh, open statement, our mission statement begins, we're an open community of Christians. And uh, some work had been done a few years before to to define that. What do we mean by openness? And that was probably um, motivated in a significant way by the debate that was happening in our denomination over the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus people. And so the statement kind of reflected that. And uh, this team of people noticed that it did not say anything about racial inclusion, uh, though, you know, it's been an understood factor but feeling like we need to name that in a more significant way. So they were already working, working hard at this. And and I got to be honest, I wasn't exactly jumping in to help help lead this effort right away because we were in the middle of kind of getting ready for a general conference this year and uh, preparing for who knows what kind of uh, divide and separation that might mean. And then at the very start of, uh, of COVID and kind of feeling like, wow, how much, how much emotional stuff can we handle at one time? But then you get several months later and uh, the event with George Floyd happens. And so this team of people naturally was, was there on the front of this. 
the rest of our congregation, I think probably much like society in general reacted in a sense like, gosh, we just can't take this anymore. We cannot take it anymore. And so we addressed it the first Sunday, but I'm just very thankful because this um, racial justice team got to work on what would be an ongoing response of our church. And that led to the focus on what it means to be an anti-racist church. And we said, okay, let's, let's not just try to rush into a more extended worship series. Let's give some time for things to develop so we can, be, um, we can declare uh, some of the things that we're going to do and what we believe this might mean. And that is what led to the series that we did in August. And, and really, while it doesn't define everything we're going to do, it clearly lays the groundwork that this is going to be something we lean into more and more. Does that do justice to it, Nicole? Yeah, I, I think that you've really charted that this was something that's a part of the DNA of St. Luke's and that it moved from a committee focus to a church focus. But I also, I think one of the other touch points within that journey was the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And I remember that we invited our congregation to run with us that weekend. There was a memorial because he was a runner and was running when he was killed. And right. then we, during COVID, our clergy staff started a new devotional resource called Mobile Messages. And uh, Pastor Javon, um, who I'm married to, uh, is also on staff here. And he did a mobile message the Monday after Ahmad Arbery's death and talked about his experience as an African-American man. And I, I guess the shift I noticed within our congregation is that we were, you know, we're building a house in Noblesville and he talked about walking around our house before we had blinds installed and making sure not to put his hood up just in case anyone might think he was a burglar in his own home. And we got so many emails about that in particular. And what some of our other clergy staff would say to us is we know these things. They're not new to us as white Americans. What's, what we're discovering is new for our congregation is that it's not someone they don't know on television. It's their pastor talking about mm -hmm. this. It's the person they've shared communion with and has baptized their children. And so I, I noticed a shift happen so, Nicole, could you share a little bit more about the details? Just uh, some characterize the, the content of these emails and conversations you were having, particularly from white folks, as they were reacting to the stories that your husband shared. And I know I've heard somewhat similar stories from Bishop Tremble and other folks as well. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I think that there's, you know, there's that famous quote that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in the country. And I think that when racism is a concept rather than something that impacts people you know and have relationships with it hits you differently and so um this i think gave people the opportunity to ask questions of someone they knew so that particular mobile message the way we do it is on facebook live and our congregation can chat right there and chime in and share experiences and stories and so, um, you know, there's supposed to be five minutes. I believe it went 28 minutes <laughs> because okay. there was just so much conversation. 
and we, I think people wanted to know what uh, more about our experience, both in the church and outside of the church, how we had experienced uh, racism systemically. And, and I think more than anything, what we could do about it as a church mm-hmm. and how yes. we could uh, work together on that as a community of and faith. Part of, part of what you chose to do about all these conversations, and I have to assume there were some conversations that are taking place among folks, not just between you know, staff oh. and folks. Yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know the exact kind of racial sociological makeup of your church, but I have to assume that it's majority white. And then, you know, among the folks though, I assume there's some conversations going on, but then how did it become the manifest itself? And through worship, some other things you started working on, uh, you had, you kind of pivoted kind of quickly and tell us what that process of, uh, then, as you said, what's the church going to do about it? So what did St. Luke's do about it? Well, I think that one of the most critical places of momentum was Pastor Rob. I think he called us on Saturday morning, was it? This is the the week yeah, of that last that last weekend of May. So the week after or the, the Saturday after the murder of George Floyd. <clears throat> and he had written, I mean, we've all been in this place. You wrote your sermon, you're ready to go. <laughs> and he called and said, No, we have to do something different. I want to put a panel together. Who do you all think could help shape a response? And we, Javon and I were on that panel, Gastana Moss Cheney, who is one of our governing board members and a longtime member of St. Luke's, who's the African-American, was on that panel. Deanna Nybarger, who is the Washington Township Director of Social Emotional Health, was on that panel. And Mindy Moore, uh, who's our Adult Discipleship Director. And so... Worship was, without that being moved into worship, I don't think we'd be here as a church programmatically. People needed to see that as a value of our discipleship. And Pastor Rob leading us to that, and then Mindy took it deeper with offering a time of study and learning. So that Sunday, you know, Saturday was decided, we're going to have a panel, we're going to redesign worship. She was offering a class on Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. And 350 people signed up to be a part of, that's the one, <laughs> oh, wow. signed up to be a part of that class. And then from that, uh, we worked on as a clergy team, this Just Us or Just Us worship series. And then from that, uh, we offered other classes. And then from that, uh, we have decided to start investing in a minority business incubator. And so as you can see, it started to shift all of our ministries. Um, and, and one of those approaches was even working with Michelle Letter, uh, who Rob first interviewed on our Bible study, virtual Bible study called Anchor Point. She returned to lead us in a becoming an anti-racist church and community training. And we had 500 people register to be a part of that training. People that were in our congregation and also in our community. So, and just it, it by just, just by comparison, yeah. 300, 500, these are big numbers. This, yeah, even, you know, a lot of folks know that St. Luke's is a good-sized church, but even for that, that had to be a tremendous response right. that teaches you that something is going on here. There's a movement happening that is more than just kind of little uh, 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 impact of a few people who are really passionate about it. This was a movement that was happening among the body. Rob, say a little bit about mm-hmm. the movement that is happening in the body here that you were sensing that you had to do something about here. 
I, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that question, and I, I don't really have a great answer for you, Brad, because one of the challenges right now is we're not together. And yes. it, it is so hard. You know, I, I guess I haven't realized until this period of time how much I rely on the gathered community to get a temperature reading of where people are. And, and that's really been difficult. All I have to go on are the emails I get from people, which is always dangerous to let some emails start to tell <laughs> yes, you where the body right, is. Right. But it's those numbers that tell me even more. When you get that many people responding to um, a, a workshop or the numbers of people plugging into the, into the book studies and the group study. I mean, right before I walked in here, I was uh, meeting with a little group of about 15 people under a tent outside doing the book, uh, White Fragility. And so, you know, it, it says to me that, the, that some of the emails I've gotten, it, it reflects um, what is happening in the body. And I just feel like it goes back to that, that reaction people had, like, how much more have we got to put up with? This has to stop. This, this is clearly something we need to act on. And everybody just feels like, but what can I do? And so for the church to start responding and saying, we are going to figure out things we can do. We're going to talk about how we can be proactive and engaged as a congregation, which, you know, it begins with learning, which feels like the most inactive thing you can do, right? But that is the beginning point. People really digging into the learning and allowing some things within themselves to get surfaced and realize, like, I would have never thought I might be contributing to the realities of racism in the things I do, because in my head, that could not be further away from my values, but in my actions, in things I've done without even realizing it. So the education is a big part of it. And you know what? That goes both ways, because mm. you start yes. surfacing behaviors and and ways we can contribute to the problem yeah there are many people who are grateful for that there are many where it surfaces i am mad that we're talking about this i feel like i'm being accused of something yeah but you know uh <laughs> well, we've, we, we're, people. we're learning a lot in this whole process and i'll just without being too fine a point on it uh, folks like me white folks older white people are learning a lot as well. And uh, I would just ask the, the bishop here, we're talking about one church here, St. Luke's, but Bishop, what's your take on how this matter is um, moving through the church as a whole here in Indiana, where you're the bishop and you you know mentioned the Council of Bishops earlier. What's your sensibility about how the issue of uh, so, biblical justice, social justice, racial justice is impacting the church? I think um, it seems like we've been in this. I, I say this a lot to the cabin. It seems like I've been in this movie before mm, you know, okay. all over again. But yes. uh, um, I think I was on a call earlier today with bishops from our jurisdiction, and we were reporting on what's going on in your conference relative to racial justice. And every, every, all of the conferences are doing something. A lot of it is grassroots or local church initiated, which I think this is the best way for things to take hold. And some of it's being directed from the Episcopal offices or cabinets or on districts. We have district conversations going on in some of the districts via Zoom. Um, uh, some people are doing book studies. The, the REM group, the, the, those who are 
preparing for ordination the process it's been built into that process now so in their retreat i don't know if it's already happened or at the end of this month everybody has to take it their idi and they're working through anti-racism um primers things you know like some of the reading that that st luke's is doing so we 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 have a team that's now being formed uh, dismantling racism anti-racism uh, team, I don't like the term task force, that seems too militaristic, but I, li I like the team concept. So a team, people that really want to give themselves to this work, and it's going to be led by um, a, lay, a lay woman um, whose name is just lost, but former a former professor from from uh, Southern Indiana who's, who's leading it. Uh, so a lot's going on, a lot more could be going on. Um, as, I, as I've said on, on, on other occasions, racism is, is not the figment of the imagination of black and brown people. It's part of the fabric of uh, America as a country. Uh, so part of it is not just education, but education is, is cr crucial. Part of it is how do we really, and this is what attracted me to the biblical, how do we really uh, uh, live as Christians in such a way uh, if, if there's a hell and you believe in hell, you won't have to go to hell for being a racist. Yeah. Well, that, that leads us to, to make a shift here. You mentioned how there's not a figment to the imagination of a lot of black, black and brown folks, but it is a stunning shock to the system to a lot of white folks. It just is about what's happened here recently. There was no racism there, but this is full-blown reality here, and St. Luke's is facing that. So what I would like to hear is start to unpack and go a little deeper on what you folks uh, Rob, you and Nicole worked through about this whole matter of focusing in on the Bible as the source of justice, biblical justice, kind of in compare and contrast to how some people think about justice in terms of societal or political terms. Uh, help us go to what you folks decided to do now with this, what you call understanding biblical justice. Nicole, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, this term kind of is a an accidental one and it's it's connected to the work that I used to do for the conference in New Jersey I was you know would go around and meet with teams of primarily mission and outreach folks who were trying to connect with their community and eventually there would always be some conversation on justice you cannot connect with your community well with having some conversation on community development and justice and I noticed when people would bring up that term social justice it would become a non-starter. And someone would inevitably say, well, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the Bible, or I'm here to talk about Christ. Hmm. And it, it was foreign to me that there was this chasm between Christ and the Bible and justice. And because we wouldn't even be talking about morality were it not for the blueprint of justice that we find in the Old Testament. So I think when Rob actually was leading this panel, uh, the weekend after the murder of George Floyd. And I talked about how I think we're called in this moment to reframe the conversation around biblical justice. Because while the outcome of political, racial, social justice, biblical justice might be the same, the entry point of biblical justice makes it unique. And it widens the table of who and how we approach these strategies, these policies, practices, and procedures. I think it also then convicts us as God's people 
if we say that this is a part of who God is, then it becomes part of our work as God's people. And then we're, we can no longer leave it to nonprofits. Uh, we can no longer leave it to governments. It becomes our responsibility. And I think when we look across history, every major social movement has had either grounding in the church, whether it's the movements for civil rights, for suffrage, uh, for abolition, or it had some networking within the church. And I think losing that history, losing that connection has ultimately, I think, led us to where we are right now, where we can't talk about justice in the fullness that it is, which includes the character of God and the call of God's people. Well, that's a, a very great way of terming it and putting a framework on it. And yet we have to now apply it in the church into our culture and make sure we are intentional about integrating this. Because I think you're right that we have this siloing that's going on, these camps that are set up politically, socially, even among religious uh, perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so let's go a little deeper on this. And Rob, maybe you can help speak to this. Help us understand from what you folks taught at St. Luke's in your message series, some of the work you're doing. Help it define for us what biblical justice is, what it is, what it is not, and uh, what the church's role in this, and maybe even a couple of scripture references if you don't mind. Sure. Um, well, the, the key scripture reference is, you know, God's call that we be a people who do justice. So the active verb, do justice, love mercy, or sometimes translated kindness and walk humbly with God. So the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, literally means law. And it, it, but it's not talking about legalism. It's, it's law that is defined in the understanding of the common good of people. So it's about equity and peace. So the, uh, the, the courts in Israel today are called uh, mishpat hashalom, courts uh, for making peace. And that's what a civil court is. It's about what, what leads to uh, the common good and furthers peace in society. Then the other key word is tzedakah, which is often used for the, the uh, loving kindness or loving mercy. And it focuses on rights, but not, not the idea of individual rights. It's about things being right with God and therefore right with each other. It's really the Hebraic foundation of the Christian understanding of justification. So we think about being justified with Christ, uh, that old analogy of the printer that justifies the words oh, in a margin. Everything sure. gets, gets lined up. Uh, this, is the, this is the understanding. Sedekah is about getting lined up with God's will that begins to line up our relationships with each other and with our society as a whole. And so if we do justice, and that's the key, we, we don't think about justice, we don't just read about justice, we then get to the point where we start, and this is where the rub is, when you start talking about what does it mean to do justice, you now have crept into the political world, mm. because you're going to start talking about what are things that go on in our society that are not about the common good, that, that are not furthering equity and peace. And how are we called to be about those things? And naturally, it, it, it raises political sensitivities. And people say, oh, that's where you've left me now. The church has yeah. gotten political. 
And I think, well, the church left a long time ago if it retreated from the needs of society. Because um, to do justice means to take action. To take action means you have to be integrated in every part of our society, political, societal, economic, uh, racially, uh, uh, law enforcement, the whole bit. We have to be involved with that. And that's what you're, you're sharing here is that the church has, if I'm understanding you correctly, Rob, and help me out here, uh, the colon bishop, what I'm hearing you say also is that the church and I'll put it on myself as a clergy in the church, have not been as engaged as we maybe should be. And this is part of our uh, sinfulness to, to be start to correct that and what you're helping us get some tools to, to do just that. So tell us more about some of the tools you're working on there at St. Luke's, which might be a uh, helpful piece to the rest of us in the church and beyond to speak to these issues. Well, again, a lot of our work so far is focused on education you know, and just learning. I do, an, uh, as Nicole mentioned a moment ago, a, a Sunday morning online class that we started in COVID just to be another uh, point of contact. My idea was make it like an adult Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And during our series on justice, I use this as an opportunity to teach and do um, beyond sermons, uh, education on things. So I would interview uh, some people in the city, like Jeffrey Johnson one morning, the pastor mm. of Eastern Star. And, you know, he was so helpful. At just, yeah, just for context, that's a large African-American church in Indianapolis, yes. so people know about that. They During COVID, they are reaching a worldwide audience of 20,000 people a week now in their online worship. So we're talking about a church of great significance. And Jeffrey Johnson was really helpful talking about systemic uh, justice and issues regarding racism. And you start talking about police behavior and what police do. He said, you know, this is not just random actions. There are, there are response trainings that police have. These are systems, you know. So you talk about the systems that get created and how those systems can hurt people and, and not help them anymore. So systems need to change. So that's where it starts to get into the into the very practical. But the big, the big work that has to happen on the front end is the education. So yes. I'm dominating conversation. I want to give. No, that's a, well, to, Nicole. I would like you. To, uh, one thing you have done there, it's it's it looks I find fascinating. I looked at it uh, earlier. Is a website anti uh, anti racist that you're using as a tool to blog and post videos and other things, other resources. Tell us what about how that emerged out of conversation you're having there. And what do you, what's the vision there? Where are we going to go with that, with that website? Yeah. So I think one of the things we've learned during this COVID era is that we are reaching people that otherwise would not have come into the door of our church, particularly when we're talking about biblical justice. So we had, you know, 500 unique people or so register for this anti-racist training, and 316 of them had never taken a book study, had never been involved in any racial justice committee meeting, anything else that was remotely connected to racial justice. And so what this told us is that there are people that are in the discovery phase of this conversation. And we want to create a resource where they can find everything they need to help them move wherever they are on the journey of becoming anti-racist. Now, this is a part of the mission 
of St. Luke's, but we also have many other things that are a part of our mission. So how could we keep that as an emphasis? And so we, we wanted to create this place where that would, that would be very clearly what you would find. You wouldn't have to also scroll through, you know, the pumpkin patch thing that we're doing. That's also really important and wonderful. And so that was part of it. It was also about reaching unchurched people. So it says antiracistindy.com. You're going to get that why we are involved in this work is because of our conviction that this is what God wants us to do. Yeah, there's no doubt but, about what this is about, is there? There's oh, not. Yeah. It's not like, you know, Jesus loves me, whatever. You know, it's, this is about anti-racist Indy. Right. But, you know, that, that messaging, you might miss that if you're looking for a conversation or resourcing on this. And you will receive that messaging as well. So part of framing it that way was to reach the unchurched. And it is designed that way so that we can continue this conversation. So we had this training with 500 people. That is one of four trainings that we're doing over the next six months. And it's because we know that this cannot, that the success of this will not be what we do right now in the reaction period. The success of this will what we, is what we do over the next two to three years to keep the conversation going, to impact both a shift in our culture as a church and the shift in the culture of our community. And so we hope to keep blogging. There are new blog posts every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, Coming up on uh, next week, we'll have Dr. Valerie Jett, uh, a professor from Butler who teaches on civics and is on WFYI, PBS every week talking about the intersection of faith and politics. Um, We have uh, several other inventories that you can take to learn where you are on the journey of becoming anti-racist. And people can also register for any of our upcoming resources. Right now, Pastor Mindy and I are teaching a course called Faith in the Ballot Box. And we've got about 100 people in that class. And we're exploring the intersection between faith and our political structures. And someone said in last night's class, you know, everything about faith and politics is dominated by the religious right. And I said, yeah, because we haven't done a great job of talking about a so-called religious left, if there is one. When we talk Mm -hmm. about faith, we often put it in one particular political spectrum, and it should be bigger than that. Well, let's let's go there for a second and just extrapolate that out a little bit there um, in terms of conversations. What I'm getting at is sure. in what we're, you know, we're having a great conversation here and part of the transformative process of this podcast, at least, is transformation through conversation and, and commentary. I'd like to hear some of the conversations you're having with the folks at St. Luke's or in the community. Uh, what are they learning? What are they hearing? What are some of the transformative conversations that are taking place or experiences that are, that are happening? And, uh, Maybe all three of you can respond to that, even you, Bishop, about conversations you're hearing among clergy or others. But let's just keep continuing with you, Nicole. What are some of the conversations you're hearing out there? I think uh, a couple of different trajectories from the training. Uh, we had several people join us that are from partnering organizations. So we had leaders from Habitat for Humanity, from um, our local schools, um, my, my son's third grade teacher. I watched the training and then said, I'm leading, not, she said a task force. I'll introduce her to the concept of team bishop, but she's leading a task force from that training on becoming an anti-racist school and what that could look like based on some of the concepts that were shared. So I think that many of the conversations 
I've had have been, how can I integrate this into my sphere of influence, whether that's teaching or a nonprofit, or even yesterday, Pastor Mindy and I got a letter from one of our congregation members. She forwarded this letter to 30 of her family members, and she invited them to put faith in the ballot box. And she explained why she was integrating faith into the decision she was making to vote. She asked them if they were registered. If they weren't, she sent the link of how they could get registered. Uh, So I see people moving into action and using these tools where they are to make a difference. Yeah, do justice, not just talk about justice. Rob, how about you? We need stories or conversations that you're hearing out there, especially transformative ones. My trouble is I'm just talking to church people. (laughs) (laughs) Are any of them changing or are they stuck? I'm responding to emails from church people just about every day. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's part of the challenge of this time, too, because a lot of the ways I rely on staying in touch is when I'm in restaurants and talking to servers and just being out and about more. And, you know, we're just not as engaged as a as a society right now i rely a little bit on what i'm hearing from our members talk about uh the conversations they have with their friends and the hunger that people seem to have um around getting better education on this matter and things that can practically be done it's that practical action that is the great need and, and the great interest of folks so it's it, it's refreshing because that means a lot of our people are sharing it with others. They're they're having these conversations. They're forwarding information, yes. and every now and then I do get an email from somebody who was was not a part of our church, and they started tuning in, and they're mainly expressing gratitude about it. That's great. So I feel like we're seeing that in our society again. Mm-hmm. That morning I interviewed Jeffrey Johnson. He kind of chuckled and said. You know, right now we're seeing more white people out there wearing Black Lives Matter shirts than black people. Yeah. And that's a good thing. There you <laughs> go. It's showing people want to do something. Yeah, that's that's great. And that, that's transformative in and of itself. Bishop, how about you? What kind of conversations are you having? Particularly, I'm interested in your conversation you may be having with clergy in terms of how they're struggling with this or how they are applying some of these things in their lives. I think... Uh, Wanted to, again, I want to give, again, kudos to the Biblical Justice uh, Preaching Series, because what I've been saying to clergy and saying to superintendents who talk to clergy is that, you know, you, you don't have to create a, a, a foundation for proclaiming a gospel that is inclusive or addresses injustice or racism. I mean, it's I just read from our Constitution of the United Methodist Church. Isaiah, the first, the prophet Isaiah says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, stand in the place of the homeless, the fatherless, the widow. So, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like when my, uh, we have, we're grandparents now, you and I, Brad, and, and I was putting together a little bicycle for our two-year-old Korean when they came to our house and, you know, opened the box. It didn't, didn't look like there was that many parts. Nicole. So I, I said, you know, I start putting it together. And then I realized that this is not working. So I had to actually take the, the little four page booklet and read the, the freaking instructions. If you <laughs> <laughs> so I, What I say to pastors, Brad, is, you know, it's in the instructions. If you, yeah. read, if you read the, if you read this, 
You know, we were taught this in seminary. Oh, my gosh. We are supposed to read the Bible. In some ways, it's not that hard, is it? If we just read the, if we read the Bible. It, it is hard, and I understand, but pastors say, you know, the first time I even mentioned Black Lives Matter, people were, you know, it was a non, that was a non-starter. I said, maybe you should have started, started with Luke 4 or John 10 or yes. something. Yeah. I said, uh, that might not have been your, shouldn't have been your first, your first paragraph. Yeah. But uh, I think I think we still have to preach the gospel, love the people, and point people to what is what does it mean for us to be followers of, of the one who was lynched on a cross? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And what does it mean for us to be followers of one who had a state-sanctioned execution? Yes, that's yeah. Jesus Christ, Rob. Yeah. yeah. What does it mean for us really to be followers of 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 of, of, of that? So it, it's and I know it's easier for me in one sense from my seat. I remember writing an article after Trayvon Martin was killed. I was a bishop in Iowa then. Then writing an article after Michael Brown was killed. Then writing, yes. a, then I realized I say I feel like I'm you know uh, Groundhog Day, uh, mm-hmm. you know that this is uh, in 1961, and I'll stop after this or or at least a couple of other seconds after this. <laughs> in 1961, James Baldwin wrote, uh, "It's not just what's happening." to me as a black person, it's what's happening all around me all the time. And he said, and it's not only that, it's the incredible, the, I'm paraphrasing, it's the incredible indifference of so many white people, including white Christians, while all this is happening all the time. So, so I mean, that's a, this is 1961. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, besides the Bible, though that types of writing and resources and literature and Lots of new resources are being produced now, book studies and all kinds of things that are happening that are helpful here as well. And I think that's partly where the opportunity is going to come here for St. Luke's to provide uh, not only this website we mentioned in this sermon series, but maybe some other resources as well that can build out of this. And I'm interested here is a, about a bigger vision, perhaps, that Rob, you and Nicole may have for how the resources that come out of this might be helpful to the church. Are we working on something there with that? We're in conversation, and uh, it, it may be turned into like a video curriculum um, on, you know, biblical justice, particularly as it uh, involves racism. Um, we don't have a timetable for it, so nothing's happened where we can say, and this date it's going to be available. But looking at something like a four-week video curriculum that uh, Nicole and Javon and myself would produce with, with um, uh, the Methodist Publishing House. Awesome, awesome. And of course, uh, we'll put links to the sermon series uh, in our show notes and also uh, to the antiracistindy.com in our show notes. We'll help people get the link there as well. I want to bring us around one more time and to have one last thought here, and then I'm going to ask our bishop, uh, Bishop Trimble, to kind of close us with some thoughts here. And I really, you know, we've been talking about some deep, deep, deep stuff, junk, sin that is, happens in individuals' lives and in our churches and our society as a whole. And racism is one of the ugliest sins that there is. All sin is ugly, of course. But I also think that we live in a moment, and I, I, I'm calling this COVID time and this other time we have a reset moment when we have an opportunity to reset, if we choose to, how we do everything, our spiritual life, our our uh, physical health, all kinds of things, and certainly things like racism and our, 
or other aspects of life. So I'm looking for signs of hope. I'm looking for signs of possibility and what of transformation. And so I guess I, I just want to ask you first, Nicole, out of this process, what are you seeing as signs of hope, both for your church and for the church as a whole and for our society? What are some transformations that are taking place that give you a sense of hope out of something so horrible as the murders and things that we've been talking about that kind of precipitated a lot of this? I think that one of the signs of hope, you know, we talked about how there had been an active committee at St. Luke's and in February, we had a becoming an anti-racist church training (laughs) and there were about 40 people that came to that. And I fast forward now to not even a, a year later and we had 500 people. And I've seen sustained uh, curiosity, sustained commitment um, over these last several months. So that gives me hope that this has activated another remnant of leaders, another group of um, visionaries and influencers. I think that what also gives me hope is that this is a conversation that is not just being had by adults. I've been really inspired by our children's and youth ministry leaders who have hosted workshops for families in how to talk to your children about race and how particularly white families can talk to their children about race and equip them to be dismantlers of racism, even as children. And it's those things that give me incredible hope. I I shared in one of our messages that one of my children had the unfortunate experience of being called the N-word. And I think that, I, I, I think of that and then I think of the 70 families who sat on a Zoom call and are trying to figure out how to dismantle racism as a family. And, and that encourages me. So I, I hope that that work continues to happen at St. Luke's. Teach your, teach your children and your grandchildren. Teach them well, to coin an old song. Rob, how about you? Signs of hope in the midst of all this, uh, such a time as this. Well, I, I certainly see it in what Nicole shared. You, you just start to hear more and more people in the church um, talk about their intolerance. For, for this and their willingness to engage with being anti-racist and and to say we got we got to do whatever we got to do that's very encouraging this may sound strange but I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing with organizations that I don't know would have touched it before hmm. the NBA endorsing Black Lives Matter one of our members is an NBA coach and to hear him talk about what they're doing as an organization to say, we've got to stand together to say, we resist this. Um, Even seeing actions by the NFL. Now we didn't see that three years ago. That's right. And it's unfortunate that it takes blood on the street to get people willing to (laughs) say, okay, we're going to accept these, these protests that are peaceful. It's not violence in the streets. I'm seeing that as a hopeful sign that, yes, maybe this can really start to change our society. Yes, great. Well, Bishop Tremble, give you the last word on this, and then if you could close us out with a prayer after your comments, we'd appreciate it. 
Thank you, Brad. Thank you for leading the conversation, Brad. You and I, you and I have been around long enough. Uh, thank yes, Rob, sir. I don't know if Rob and Nicole, they may be too young, but you remember the commercial? I think it was an Oldsmobile commercial that said, this is not your father's. Oh, yeah. That's not your father's olds. Yeah. Yeah, that's not I'll your Google father's. that. Yeah. <laughs> This yeah. is not your father's Oldsmobile. Well, yeah, I think about that. Uh, I remember an inst- uh, something that happened several years ago. We, we were in Iowa at the time. My wife and I hosted a conversation at our home after uh, some clergy, the, sup- the cabinet superintendents, uh, we'd all went out to see the movie 42, Chadwick Bosman, who's passed mm-hmm. on. God rest his soul and bless his his family. He played Jackie Robinson. Did you see that? I don't know if you I did. That. I did, yes. Yeah. But anyway, we saw that movie. We think it's an excellent movie for conversation, deeper conversation and theological reflection. And uh, one of the pastors uh, was sharing and, and, and shared with tears uh, because we were having conversation and we talked about different scenes in the movie. And there's one particular scene where the, the father is in the stand uh, yelling epithets uh, at Jackie Robinson and the, and the child looks up at his dad and you know, kind of shocked. And, but after about 10 seconds, he realized, well, this is what I should be doing. So he joins right in with the N word and so forth. And so on. And, and one of the, the pastor began to weep and said, I was raised around a grandmother and grandfather who talked like that. That's, these are people that I love. And so how do you, how do you make the world? This is not your father's Oldsmobile. This is not your grandmother and grandfather. Nobody's asking people to stop loving their grandparents but we can't embrace those things that we may have been taught or poured into us as, as God given. They weren't necessarily God given. They, they weren't God given at all. So how do we, how do we expunge that and, and cleanse ourselves from that? Uh, 1967 Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in where do we go from here? Like life, I'm paraphrasing a little bit like life, racial understanding. And I would add harmony is not just something we find, but something we must create. So everything that we do at this moment is, is kind of a down payment on a better tomorrow for Nicole's children and, and, and our grandchildren and those children that will follow them. So, so even the work like Nicole, when you took the trip down south, you know, that was a down payment on future things. And the work that you're doing now is a down payment on future things. Even this podcast, Brad, we may not think of it this way, but I think it's, God can take this, use this, as a work, uh, as a down payment on future progress for, uh, for what can happen in the world. The church has an opportunity, in fact, a duty to lift up its voice like a trumpet and declare unto the people the immorality of racism and the fact that indeed everybody is a child of God worthy uh, of grace, respect, and equality. So it is, sometimes it is political. So, I mean, a living wage it's political, mm-hmm. but it's justice. You know, it's justice. So thank you, friends. I'll close with prayer. Loving God for the gift of friendship and for the opportunity to be in ministry. May someone who hears this podcast be blessed as they are navigating through this time of COVID, as they are navigating through time of being separated from loved ones. Let them know that you are a child of God. We are a child of God. And that indeed the world that we want to have, we can invest in by the little things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we thank you for your participation today. We give many thanks as we had the great discussion today on understanding biblical justice, 
to Reverend Rob Fuquay, the senior pastor at St. Luke's United Methodist Church, and Reverend Nicole Caldwell Gross, pastor of mobilization and outreach, Bishop Julius Trimble from the Indiana area. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Thank you for joining us today on the United Methodist People podcast. A powerful conversation we just had about biblical justice. Biblical justice. And I hope that you heard some practical things that you could understand about that to apply to your church and your ministry setting. A little bit of understanding, a takeaway is to to try to understand what biblical justice is not. It's not the same as fairness. It's not about just obeying law. And what biblical justice is in terms of practically pursuing God's peaceful and equitable community for all people. And I hope you heard some of the personal stories and the personal anecdotes that we shared there, including some some of the process there of sharing the story and how we all in our churches need to share the story of biblical justice. And we need to talk to our people, talk to our children, talk to our grandchildren about the issue of justice and to not put it aside. It's so important that we do that. Here at the United Methodist People podcast, we're all about sharing conversation and speaking into matters that matter in the United Methodist Church, including this matter of justice. You can go to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, for back episodes of the podcast with speaking to many matters that are pertinent to the life of the church, or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. It is good to be with you, friends. It is our purpose to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ through the ministry of this podcast, where our purpose is to is to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary and to follow in the pathways of John and Charles Wesley to speak justice into our world. And I leave you now with the words of John Wesley, which I think can apply to our lives right now, and I commend them to you. It goes like this. Catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Until next time, friends, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller from the United Methodist People podcast, encouraging you to continue to do all the good you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.